Broadcasting from the Vegas Video Network Studios, just steps from the Las Vegas Strip, it's Awkward Silence 2.1. And now, our favorite host in this particular time spot, it's Brandon Gooch Hahn. Just taking a good stretch there. Hello, I'm Brandon Guchan, and welcome to Awkward Silence 2.1 right here on the historical Vegas Video Network. Yay! All right. No, but wait. Hold that applause, one person. Hold that applause. Now we're going to make some noise for our special guest, Elaine Boozler. Yeah, I'm telling you, you've got to give it up. She's going to be headlining down at the Riviera Starlight Theater tonight through Sunday. Great show. If you, you know who Elaine. Now, without any further ado, I think it's time for the seamless segue to camera number two. Yeah, look at that. Spot on, right? Let's do the old news. Brett Michaels, front man for Poison, is trying to sue the producers of the 2009 Tony Awards, claiming that they aired his little mishap for ratings. And if you're unaware of what mishap I'm talking about, let's take you back to 2009. We got the video for you. All right, here's Brett Michaels. Hey, what's up? It's still 1987. Hey, you know what show I like? Elf. <laughs> and everybody's jumping on stage. Brett Michaels still relishing in the spotlight. And then boom! Oh! <laughs> I think America should take up a collection and pay for the Tony Awards Defense Fund. Because if they could promise me they'll do that every Tony Awards, I'll watch it every single year. Next victim, Nicki Minaj. Let's make it happen. And Adam Levine, front man for Maroon 5, went on the Howard Stern Show and said that his preferred method of birth control is pulling out. Well, I'm here to let you know that he claims that it's foolproof. Look, Adam, of course it's going to be foolproof when it's with nothing but dudes, right, guys? You know what I'm talking about? Give me a high five. Dude, he's not gay. He's, he's dating a freaking Victoria's Secret. Supermodel? No, he's only with her for the free underwear. Have you ever heard Maroon 5? The writing's on the wall. And speaking of other entertainment news, producer of The Amazing Race, Adam Rice, was found dead in his Uganda, uh, Uganda hotel room. Investigators say it's either because of a cocaine overdose or a suspected poisoning. And in sadder news, the producers for the Keeping Up the Kardashians are still alive and well. Sorry about that, America. Hey, Las Vegas, we're known for our eateries. We're known for our fine dining. And that's why we sent our very own Courtney Leone down to the Fremont Street Experience. Hey, Court. Hi, Peggy. Gooch, I'm down here outside the Heart Attack Grill, getting ready to enjoy me a triple bypass burger. And just as you suspected, I do hate myself. Uh, triple bypass burger? Didn't a guy die last week from eating that? No, no, no. He almost died, which is why I got to get me some of this before they shut this place down. Whatever do you mean, young Courtney Leone? Funny you should ask. Um, there is an anti-meat protest group coming from Washington, D.C., trying to shut this baby down. Basically, a bunch of smelly hippies who think cows are people are saying no, no, and they're trying to take away one of Sin City's fine tourist traps. Why is it a tourist trap? First of all, if you weigh over 350 pounds before your meal, you get to eat here for free. Ugh. Well, Furthermore, all patrons need to dine in a hospital gown. Well, isn't that a kind of a benefit? You won't get your clothes stained? 
No, no, you won't stain your clothes, but can you really wash the shame off your soul after you eat some flatliner fries and down that with fat bastard wine? Doubtful. By the way, I'm not being mean. That's the actual name for their menu items. Jesus, gross. Yeah, and to make matters worse, they have hot chicks for waitresses walking around in sexy nurse outfits. Like, my self-esteem really needs that. Seriously? You think they eat there? Sure. If by eat there you mean throw up in the bathroom, I do think that. Courtney Leone, everyone. I fear no diabetes. <laughs> now, we got an email set up, awkward at vegasvideonetwork.com, awkward at vegasvideonetwork.com, a phone number, 866-966-4599, 866-966-4599, and we have live chat set up, vegasvideonetwork.com forward slash live. If you feel brave enough to call up or write us and chat us, ask Elaine a question, she will answer it right for your face. Now. We're going to take a 30-second ID, and we'll be back with our headliner in just a little bit. Traditional media believes that after about three minutes, you'll tune out. Most Vegas media companies think if it doesn't jiggle, you won't tune in. At the Vegas Video Network, we think both are wrong. The Vegas Video Network is the first and only live online broadcast network that specializes in insider news and expert views about Vegas. We combine great storytelling with the ability to watch when and where you want on your computer, mobile device, or television. Discover the real Las Vegas. Visit VegasVideoNetwork.com. That's right, we're back. Oh, your feedback. Hey, check this out. Our headliner, Elaine Boozler, is going to be headlining down at the Riviera Starlight Theater tonight through Sunday. You know exactly who she is. We're, I can't wait to talk to her. I've actually been looking forward to this all really? week long. So let's make some noise for Yay! Elaine Boozler. Thank you. Well, seriously. Well, thank you. I, I just want to explain that I'm overdressed because uh, I couldn't a have time to change for the next gig, which is, I believe, a presidential inauguration, if I'm not mistaken. I like that. So. I like that. <laughs> thank you. Look I'm, classy all day long. This is pajamas in Las Vegas. Exactly. <laughs> this is my pajamas. Actually, I wear this in the shower in Las Vegas because you still have to be glittery. Right. So. Well, I was planning on going down to the soup kitchen and eating later on. You look great. <laughs> but, uh, Elaine, I, this is the thing, and I, I don't like to throw this term out very often, but legend comes to mind. Oh, yeah. No, you really oh, I am. Yeah, of course. Hey, I led Lewis and Clark across the Northwest Passage. I like that. I like that. I was using my Indian name of Sacagawea at the time, mm. and I, then I changed it for show business because it sounded too Jewish. American but pioneer. I am an American pioneer. I carved the trail, and uh, yeah, one of those Mount Rushmore guys. If you look closely, little long hair, little glitter. It's me. It's right. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, is, is without you, there really wouldn't be so many uh, female entertainers today, and I really do mean that. Like, uh, you know, the Chelsea Handlers and, and the Sarah Silvermans and all that. You had to pave the way for all of them because when you started, you know, nobody was giving women a chance. Well, when I started, all the guy comics were wearing dresses, you know. Right. I mean, they all were in drag, Milton Berle and Rip Taylor, a little before my time. But, you know, the only really thing that would happen if, if it was without me would be that no one in my family would have a house. Right. That's about it. 
<laughs> we all live in a giant box. That's it. <laughs> I'm the one who didn't graduate high school and I had to buy all those damn houses. But, you know, it's, I mean, it's interesting when you start, and I started, believe it or not, well, you would believe it, look, but 1973. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was eight. And, um, but, you know, you, people kind of forget you. It's like there's no Medgar Evers Day. There's a Martin Luther King Day. It's like the first person through the door just dies, lays down, and everyone walks across you. And that's fine. I mean, you get the door open, and it's cool. Right. Well, like, how do you feel, how do you feel when you see some of these comics, like, uh, blazing the Thrilled. trail that you, but you... Thrilled. In fact, I, you know, it's funny because the week that I got this gig, there was a whole thing in the New York Times about the Letterman show not booking any women comedians. Mm -hmm. And then their booker at the time, he's... Eddie Brill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He said, well, you know, women aren't funny and they're not good comics. And we just all wrote letters because it was just so, you know, didn't we fight this fight mm -hmm. 30 years ago? Isn't it just an ignorant thing to say? You know, what was he going to say next week? Blacks are uppity? You know, <laughs> what? Hear that, Jacob? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he is uppity. Was, <laughs> like, he came in. He's a bit uppity. Yeah. But, you know, it was such a stupid thing to say. So the minute that happened, and I knew I got this gig, I hired a woman to open for me. And, and everyone said, wow, you doubled the amount of uh, female comics on Letterman already. Right. So Adrienne Appalucci's opening for me at the Riviera, and she's fantastic. She's young. She's out of New York. She's hilarious. She's like Stephen Wright. And there's a billion great women around that people don't get to see because they're just not getting put on. But I could give you a list of 500 great women. Well, Courtney Leone's good. Uh, but uh, my thing is... The path that you had to take, though, because when you were trying, you, this is the this is people don't do this nowadays. Uh, you produced your very first hour-long special with your own money, <laughs> yeah, with your own money, and then you shopped it, and they said, "Look, women don't want to see you on TV." And then you toured for fifty weeks trying to get the word out there. You got a good write-up, and then people were like, "Okay, we'll finally take the chance." I mean, that doesn't happen nowadays. Well, I mean, everything, business changes all the time, all kinds of business changes as things progress. But what it really was, cable had just started. Every single guy had had a special. I was already doing two-hour headlining shows around the country 50 weeks a year. This was early 80s. And I begged for a special, and they said, you know, I don't think anyone's going to watch a woman do an hour. That's what they said. Not women didn't want to see me, but nobody wanted to see me. And I said, I do two hours all around the country. And when I follow the guys in that you already gave the shows to, they say, well, we're going to make our money back this week. Thank goodness. So they wouldn't do it. I had no credit cards, no checkbooks, no nothing. No, I had $10,000 in savings, and, and I was dating someone who was a producer and a cameraman. He said, we can do a special. And we did a great special, Party of One. And he said, you got to get some stars on it because they're not buying you. Bill Cosby, that was the week his show hit number one. He did it. Letterman had never stepped outside his own show. It was brand new. He did it. Dr. Ruth was hitting that year. We had stars. Tom Waits, an old friend, gave me his music. I had a show that had been culled for 12 years of stand-up. It was stunning, the show. And I went back and they said, we told you, nobody wants to see this. And I couldn't sell it. Mm -hmm. And my boyfriend said, what do you want to do? I said, now I realize it is personal. <laughs> you know. I said, but we told everyone we'd pay them after we sold it because we didn't have money to pay them. I said, I'm going to tour for a year. Uh, pay everybody off and retire. I mean, retire. Get a job somewhere. Mm -hmm. and we will teach. There was nothing left to do. And the greatest saying in TV is if someone doesn't like you in TV, wait five minutes. Right. Because they're all gone. I'm at the Riviera 30 years later. <laughs> but um, a year later, new guys came into Showtime and bought the special and gave me three more specials. So. You know, and, like, and th just the list of the people that you came up with, Andy Kaufman was 
convinced you. Well, we lived together for yeah. three years in New York. You know, that was really the reason I'm here. I right. mean, he was the most fun you could have, and he really, you know, kind of taught me how this could work. Mm -hmm. You know, he was the greatest mentor you could ever have, and the most fun. It's really hard to have like the love of your life, you know, that early, and then of course, you know, he died. Right, but right. luckily, many many years later, I got to meet someone who I loved. But it's hard. You know, it's it's so crazy because you know somebody like that who was so eclectic and all on their own world, teaching you how to do jokes, and then you came along, and the jokes that you had were all yours. I mean, there was no women talking about taking a a female perspective on relationships and. You know, and you know, I, I remember you being the first one going, "Yeah, men are pretty stupid." I mean, I, but I, I always I, said women were too. I never right. attacked. I did equal opportunities. There was opportunity. never There was never any attacking. Never. But it was like, but you were the first ones that I remember really breaking it down, uh, the, the social norms. And I don't think you get thanks. enough credit. Oh, that's okay. I mean, credit. You know, I mean, thanks. Great. I'll get it now because here we are. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but da da. <laughs> no, but the truth is, I mean, it wasn't. I, you know, here's what's funny. I mean. It's like, do you remember Stone Soup, that parable? Some soldier comes back from the war, and he's starving. It's from a zillion years ago. It's an old parable. And no one will feed him. He knocks on all the doors of the village, and, uh, you know, can I have a, something to eat? I defended you. No. So he finds a rock, and he starts a big kettle of water, and he puts the stone in it. And he, everyone says, what are you cooking? He said, oh, it's a very magical recipe from history, Stone Soup. Well, can I have some? He said, well... The only way I could give you some is if you added some carrots to it. Well, can I have some? Well, if you add some. So eventually he had this amazing stew and they all ate, you know. Mm -hmm. With Andy, I mean, the whole thing was, you know, it wasn't about me having an agenda to sell. I just was trying to have a job. I was fired from every waitress job in New York City. I couldn't make a living at anything. I didn't graduate high school. And the minute I stepped on stage, everyone started attributing carrots and celery. and like, she's trying to do this. She's trying to ruin the norm of women. She's too aggressive. She's too assertive. She's not enough of a feminist. And I'm going, I'm just trying to get a paycheck. Right, and pay right. my rent. I have nothing to say. I'm just talking about waking up today. You know, right. I had no agenda. I was a little stone with nothing. And everybody, like, laid all their psychology on me. And I had to pay the price for everybody's inner crap. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating to me. Andy, you know, as far as not teaching me jokes, but he taught me how, how to be a good comedian. Our goal was... If somebody wants to hang out with you in your living room when you come off stage, you've done the right show because that's what you're going for, mm -hmm. that people are so happy afterwards and like you so much, you know. And I mean, Andy, they loved at the end of his show what he did to them, where he took them. I've never seen anyone in my life, and like I said, I've been at this 38 years, there is no Andy Kaufman. Mm -hmm. People don't get it. People think they're like him. They have no idea the levels of, of thought that he operated on. He was the kindest, gentlest, most fun guy. And my advice to anyone who thinks he or she is an Andy Kaufman fan, forget that movie. They should be sued for that movie. Forget really? the frigging books. These are People have their own agenda. They write books about dead people they never met. And they call them sick or, you know, twi they don't know him. You know, he was fabulous and wonderful. 
My husband managed the doors. He's the only man who managed the doors when Jim Morrison was alive. So he's the only guy who knew Jim in business. When Oliver Stone made the movie, my husband went and read the script. He said, this isn't Jim. And Oliver said, well, it's my vision of Jim. You know, my husband has to watch the Doors movie, and, and he's played in it, you know, the way I have to watch the Andy movie. It's never going to be the story. My advice is if you love the Doors, buy their music. If you love Andy, get his videos. Forget all the other crap. Right. Did that, did that, so that movie made you upset? Then? I didn't. That movie was so horrible. To call him, you know, have hookers at the Mustang Ranch say, man, there's a really sick guy out there. He used to call me from the Mustang Ranch laughing and saying, this is so great. I finally can have everybody I want and we have such a good time. He wasn't sick. He was like a kid in a candy store having the most fun. Right. But they can't get that because the guy who made that movie is sick. Right. <laughs> He's the guy who is mean to the hookers, not Andy. Right. Andy was, I just, I can't tell you. Go find his work. You will be delighted. He was the best. The chances he took were pretty. People talk. People like to throw that around in comedy nowadays, especially if you like you like. For example, you're very liberal, so you come out and you speak on behalf of that, and they'll say that's brave. But me personally, I think the things that he did were so eclectic and so out. There, oh yeah. You know. Oh, and yeah. I just these might not get laughs, but I'm going to try it. Well, but he it, you know, he didn't even operate on that level. He always was introduced as a song and dance man. Mm -hmm. If you said here comes comedian Andy Kaufman, he wouldn't take the stage. Right. He wouldn't, you know, and I say, "Well, why do you do that?" And he said, "Because if if they call me a comedian, then people think they have to laugh." And I said, "Well, I'm going to make sure they call me a comedian." Right. <laughs> when I go, I need all the help I can get. <laughs> but his thing was he knew exactly where every show was going. Mm. He knew the levels and where he was taking them and where they would end up. And he wasn't afraid of it because there was always a map. Mm. And he was the, I, the only person I've ever seen in all my life who works without a net. I mean, you have no idea. You know, I just wish you could have seen him live. I mean, that's one thing I love about stand-up. I mean, like, I never got to see Lenny Bruce. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've seen video, but, you know, he's like one of my gods. And, okay, I miss that. The great thing about stand-up, it's like the last spontaneous live thing left. You know, even presidential debates are all scripted crap oh, yeah. now. Yeah. But stand-up, it's like the last back and forth, and it's live. And, you know, you have this beautiful piece of sky writing. And as the audience walks out, it starts to break up, and that's it. It's gone. You had to be there. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, what Andy, you know, if you saw him live, or Lenny Bruce, or that's what I still love about it. Whoever is at the Riviera, as they walk out, that was it. You know, mm -hmm. someday I'll be dead, and they'll say, man, I saw her one night at the, but you weren't there. You didn't see it. Right. It's, it's lovely. We have another, we have a chat question. What's up, Scott? Yeah, Bill wants to know, has Elaine ever thought about writing a book about Andy? I am writing my book. Not a, Andy's part of the book. Um, it's coming out this year. It's called Big Fun, and it's not an autobiography. Hooray! No childhood. <laughs> no whining, no childhood. All it is is it's all the funny stories from starting out in the 70s, um, the stories that people keep saying, what was it like? And I think people really want to know. They ask me you know, all right. the time. And it's all the guys I started with, Richard Belzer, Freddie Prince, Andy Kaufman, Jimmy Walker, Letterman, Leno. Um, oh, gosh, Lily Kate used to come in. Richard Pryor used to come in. Robert Klein. I have stories about everyone. And it's just the hilarious stories because I worked the door in the clubs for years. Mm -hmm. So Ed Bluestone, do you remember him? Genius, crazy writer. Um, you know, and I have all their material in the book, which is they let. And it's really going to be just a funny telling of all the great stories. And that's the most amazing thing about comedy, too, is the funniest stuff for us is backstage. Yes. Like when, and, oh, but with other comics, like the... Because everybody 
is so they're 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 paying attention to their surroundings, and then all of a sudden one thing happens, and then it's just like you said. As soon as ever, as soon as that big laugh hits, it's gone forever. Oh yeah. And, and try explaining that to other people. Oh, you know? but the stories. I mean, you know, just. I mean, you can curse here, right? Yes. Okay, I don't curse in my act as a point of honor because that's all anybody does now. Mm -hmm. And even though I like to curse and I curse all day long in my life, I just feel people pay and they come in and all they hear is this stuff all night. So to me, it's a point of honor not to curse in the act. Plus, we're writers. Mm -hmm. The whole point is using the English language as your only tool. It's your paint. If you can't paint, you shouldn't be up there. <laughs> if you only have, you know, black paint, that's it. You know, fuck, right. fuck, 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 fuck it. My friend Tom Dreesen was doing a roast, and, uh, and, and everybody was, you know, motherfucker, motherfucker. And he said to one guy, he said, you know, motherfucker isn't a punchline. And the guy said, oh, you don't curse in your act? And he said, no, I don't. And the guy said, what do you use for adjectives? And Tom said, adjectives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's a point of honor. But anyway, so like one of the stories in the book, Ed Bluestone, who was a genius, he did the National Lampoon cover. If you don't buy this magazine, we'll shoot this dog. Mm -hmm. It was in the 70s. Then they had to get the dog's eyes to look at the gun. And we didn't have Photoshop then. That was like the biggest selling National Lampoon thing. And he had a very dark act. And he was a terrible performer, but a great writer. And he'd stand there really like this. And all the waitresses and I, as the hostess, we knew when someone was going to break through you. You had a great night, and then they became who they were going to be and never went back. But it took years sometimes. And we'd, like, I remember the night it happened to Freddie Prince. He just became Freddie that night. And there he was. But I watched the struggle before. Ed Bluestone goes up, and he always struggled. He always kept his hand in his pocket, held the mic here, fish eyes straight out, no movement. And he was having a really good show, and he started to get a little loose, and all the waitresses were standing there kind of watching. We went, maybe Ed's going to become Ed tonight. Maybe this is his night to break through. And he's going, blah, blah, blah. He's doing his stuff, and he's loose. And finally, first time in four years, he says, well, any questions? Well, he'd never. And we went, oh, my God, this is his night. And this guy yells said, yeah, why is your hand in your pocket? And without missing a beat, he says, because your wife's a cunt. And we went, not tonight. It's not Whoa. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you got to use that word when the time is right. <laughs> we got another chat question. Yeah, his wife's on the line, though. <laughs> uh, Bill just said, hey, I just saw your website, Elaine. Why is Facebook a cocksucker? Clocksucker. Oh, clocksucker. It's a clocksucker, because you can't get oh. off it. It takes all your time. I actually did a rap, believe it or not. I know it sounds so horrible, a white woman doing a rap, but it actually is a good rap, and it's called Facebook's a Clocksucker. And... Uh, it is Facebook's a clock sucker. Time disappears. I sat down in 04. I'm still here. Melt into the chair and moved a muscle since July. I'm the plus side. Yeah, the plus size. Time is on my thighs. Never done so much free work. It has me all a tucker. Sarah Palin is a jerk and Facebook's a clock sucker. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. I think I'm going to jump in my six foe and Paula right now and bump that. Oh, no. Again. Did I embarrass all white women in the world? No. <laughs> you can't get off Facebook. They, you know, you sit down and, and you, you get up. You're fat. Your roots need to be done. Find out your husband's white. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, other than comedy, though, you've done other things, too, because you took a little break from stand-up. Yeah, well, I run a nationwide animal rescue. I heard you uh, making fun of the tree huggers and the cow people. and the. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just love animals. And so uh, we, it's called Tales of Joy. If you're, if you're online now, it's uh, talesofjoy.net. I started 11 years ago. I've been in rescue for 16. And we just fund the smallest, neediest rescues across the country. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you give money like to the Humane Society of the United States, the big one, they spend, you can check it in cha charitynavigator.com, they spend two and a half cents of every dollar on animal-related issues. The rest is pensions, travel, 
million dollar salaries. I mean, your money's going nowhere. But you have three ladies in Iowa rescuing cats, three grandmothers. Man, you give them a dollar, it's a hundred bucks. Right. And so we just, because I travel, I meet everybody. We fund with the after show merchandise. We leave it in every city. We're uh, funding Poppy Cat Rescue here in Las Vegas this week. All the after show merch is going to them. It's a small vet who people started dropping cats off. She's up to 100 cats. She won't get rid of them. She makes them healthy and slowly adopts them out. Our money's going to her this week. We just do the smallest, neediest rescues across the country. You see, that's, that's amazing to me about like the, the big corporation, the big charity. You know, you know, once you get big, the money doesn't go where you think it's going. Look at Susan G. Komen. Look at what they did you know, a couple of weeks ago, um, not funding Planned Parenthood for breast exams. I mean, it's, that's pornography to me. That's vile to, for them to do that. And they have trillions of dollars. You know, it's always support your small local places. The reason Tales of Joy is good, we check like all the different rescues in all the cities. So we know if a small rescue is actually getting bang for the buck. If you give it to us, we can put it right back in your city in the right place. Mm -hmm. So. You were a, so and you're, you're a liberal activist, too. You've been on CNN. I mean, you've been on all, pretty much all the talking head shows. But, you know, just to not scare people in the show if they come, I don't stand there and proselytize. I mean, I do both sides, just like I always did both oh. sides of men and women. Right, right. And that, that's not what I was getting. But, but it's like, but well, I don't want to scare people right, away. Right, right. I want them to come so I can insult them and get them angry. No, I'm <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for you. Um, but no, you know, but just like you said, though, I mean, what, what, you just, what you just said is you practice what you preached. I mean, especially from, from a liberal sense. I mean, basically, uh, the big business, obviously, the Humane Society, two cents for every dollar. That's upsetting. But, then you're, but instead cents. of talking about it, you're actually doing something about it. And just like, and the thing is, though, is it all comes back to, uh, to exactly what you did with your stand-up career. People were telling you not to do this. You could have done the easy thing and just... You know, I could have taken the, been the loud mouth, annoying neighbor a thousand times on TV. It was offered to me. You know, I said, you know, why can't I have the show? Well, you know, funny. And I said, you know, I get laid in real life. Why couldn't I get laid on TV? I mean, <laughs> why? Why? I'm not the best friend in real life. I'm the actual, you know, I'm here. But I just wouldn't take the stereotypical. If you, I mean, you have no, well, the book will tell you, and it's all funny. But the stuff you go through, you know, just, I was this young 27-year-old, adorable. I was so cute. And I went to do the Tonight Show, little off-the-shoulder Spanish blouse and tight white jeans and a flower in my hair. Oh, too aggressive. What? And I I look at this. Too thing. aggressive. That's what they said. Johnny Carson said in Rolling Stone, oh, these new, these, I saw a new woman. She's so aggressive. And I'm, if you look at the video, I actually cry when I look at it now because here I am going, well, you know, Charlie's Angels, it's such a silly show. It's just based on hair and nothing. <gasps> you know, that's my little joke. And I said, it's just based on clothing. What? He's dead? I'll change. I mean, this was the material in the right. 70s. And he's going too aggressive. And I, my heart breaks for who I was and what they did, you know, did to me. And I'm just in there going, I'm just being funny. I'm not, you know. So uh, what's the difference between Elaine Boozer then and Elaine Boozer now? Oh, I'll stage? kill you now. I'll right. kill you. <laughs> <laughs> I am so done apologizing. I was already intimidated. Yeah. I was like, no, I'm I standing back. <laughs> you look at me wrong. I will fucking cut your legs off. <laughs> I'll kill a bitch. I told you he's uppity. Right, he's a <laughs> 
That was the white guy. That well, was the white guy. Really uppity. <laughs> you know, it's funny. For years, I got the same comment. You know, you do a million uh, interviews uh, with newspapers to sell your tickets, and the guys, I, I just, I could write down the five questions before they asked them. You know, and the first question: Aren't men intimidated by a, a good-looking female comedian? And I apologized for the first 15 years. Oh well, you know, I'm not. Oh gee, oh gosh. And then the second 15 years, they'd say, Aren't men intimidated by a funny woman? Here's what I would say: Not real men. Oh well, I wasn't. I mean, I just not me. Yeah. You know, it's just like leave me alone. Right, right. You know, I like that. I like that philosophy. Uh, what do we got? Another chat question here. Yeah, Nate wants to know. Uh, were there any shows that you were offered that ended up being big hits? Well, yes. I was offered the Jenny Jones show before they gave it to Jenny Jones, and I just couldn't see myself doing an afternoon talk show. I really was fighting for a late-night show. I'm very political. I write a monologue a day on Facebook and Twitter. I do every joke I do at 8 o'clock in the morning on Twitter. There's some version of it in a monologue of one of the guys that night. Because, you know, that's what's happening in the news, and my stuff is very smart. I mean, my, I, it's so smart, and I thought, every woman gets an afternoon talk show. I want the late night show, and I held out and didn't get it. But How hard would it be for you to bite your tongue on an afternoon talk show, you know, like some chick with like five babies, six baby daddies, and then, oh, I need help. I can't see you going, let's try and, let's... You know, be the whole PC Jenny Jones thing. Well, I can see putting someone on blast. You know, <laughs> if she wanted a dog, I'd help. Yeah. But I was coming out yeah. of the market one night, one day, and there was a woman who had been uh, panhandling in that market parking lot for about a week with five kids. And uh, she came up to me finally, and uh, she said, "Can you get me some food?" And I said, "I'll buy you a diaphragm." So that's how I would have been on a talk show. <laughs> that's my talk show. One day, the shortest talk show in history. I'll buy you a diaphragm. You know, I didn't have kids because I couldn't afford it, you know, at the time that I could have had them. No, enjoy your kids. Do something. Get a job. You know? Well, Elaine, I want to thank you so much for stopping Oh, I had by. such a great time. Thank you. But before we leave, we like to play a little game. It's called Three Under 30. This is where we ask you three questions you got to answer. Under, under 30 seconds? Okay. All right. Yep. Here we go. Ready? Yep. And clock. Here we go. Who was the third president of the United States? Uh, Elvis. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> who was... Who are the first people to fly? Uh, Orville and Wilbur Wright. Yes. And uh, finish this song lyric. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Oh, Lord. No, it's actually war. Good God, you were close. Well, you were so close. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Say it again. Well, Elaine's going to be headlining down at the Riviera tonight through Sunday. With in the Starlight Adrian Theater. Appalucci. Adrian Appalucci, from what I understand, fabulous. And don't forget to check out our website, ElaineBoozler.com. And TalesOfJoy.net. And your book is going to be coming out. Big fun. Big fun. Lot, first half is Andy, and it's all beautiful. It's just a big love letter and all the great shows and hilarious things we had to go through together to not get killed by an audience. Well, Elaine, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. I, I've had the flu, oh, okay. but... Okay, I'll do it. Are we going to go there? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't forget to catch the replays of this show on VegasVideoNetwork.com, Roku, iTunes, and YouTube. Once again, Elaine's going to be headlining down at the Riviera inside the Starlight Theater tonight through Sunday. We'll be back next Friday at 1 o'clock. Elaine, thank you so much and for And please remember by. that cable adds 40 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next Friday at 1 o'clock. Awkward Silence 2.1. I'm out. Bye-bye. <laughs>